You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his 1932 inaugural address, President Franklin Roosevelt, at the lowest point of the Great Depression, famously said, the only thing that we have to fear is fear itself. Now, I'm not totally certain he was right, but fear is a giant we all seem to face on a daily basis. A simple and useful definition of fear is this. It's an anxious feeling caused by anticipation of some real or imagined event or experience. You know, according to Dr. Carl Albright, there are only five basic fears, and out of which all other fears are categorized. And I'm going to give you those five basic fears this morning. The first is the fear of annihilation. The fear of annihilation. The fear of ceasing to exist. And it's more than just a fear of dying or of the way we're going to die. The heart of this fear is that we might simply no longer be a part of this life. Triggers of this fear often include things like the dark. Got a child that's afraid of the dark? Or of flying. Or of heights. You know, that that deal where you kind of walk up to the edge of the big tall building and you just get anxious about it? I, I do. Or of fatal diseases of which there are no cures like Ebola. It's that kind of prickly feeling that we get when we look over that tall edge, when we get too close to it. The second fear is the fear of bodily harm. This is the fear of losing part of our body or at least losing part of its natural function. Uh, This would be any kind of fear we feel when we're physically threatened or when when we feel unsafe. Examples of triggers for this fear are anxieties like that we get when we're around spiders or snakes. Or animals like dogs or sharks. You ever get, you know, when you're walking out in the ocean, you are, you are, if you knew how many sharks are out there, guys, you'd never get in the ocean. But you got to overcome it. Also, it would include anxiety, like, like coming in crowds, like this morning. Some of you got a little anxious coming in the crowd this morning. Or needles when you go to the doctor's office. Or germs. Or just going in the hospital or doctors. Or that dreaded trip to the dentist office is a great fear for a lot of people. The third type of fear is the fear of the loss of autonomy. Now, this is the fear of being restricted or confined or being trapped somewhere. It's the fear of being paralyzed or overwhelmed or imprisoned by something. Or being controlled by other people is a form of this fear. Or being in certain circumstances that are beyond our control that can cause anxiety in our life. It goes by names like claustrophobia. But it also includes uh, our fears of, of, of not being able to take care of ourselves for some reason, or, or being dependent on others, or, or being controlled by other people. Of course, examples of triggers for this would be things like poverty, or a debilitating illness, or something as simple as aging. You know, over the last couple of years of my father's life, I watched him really experience a lot of anxiety as he became less independent and more dependent upon his kids. It can include things like feeling 
helpless or powerless. You know, like, like when our boss might threaten us to, to, to do a particular job that, that they ask of us that we don't want to do, but, but they threaten our job if we don't do it. We feel vulnerable. We feel trapped. These are all those, the same type of fear of annihilation. The fourth fear is the fear of separation or abandonment or rejection. See, we all, as humans, have this strong need to belong. And we fear upsetting people and then them rejecting us. It includes not feeling wanted or, or respected or valued by other people. Triggers of this fear would include a relationship ending, like a divorce or the death of a loved one, someone close to us. When it happens, we feel lost and we feel lonely. We, we, we can get disconnected from the people around us. And when that happens, we... we we, we get very anxious or when, it, when we feel like we're left out of the group. Have you ever felt like, you know, in a group and you were kind of left out? It's that fear and that anxiety we get when that happens. And then lastly is the fear of humiliation or shame or worthlessness. See, we all need to feel loved and valued as people. And shame can be an excruciating feeling. And most of us will go to great lengths to avoid public failures, or public embarrassment. Public humiliation is, is probably the greatest fear among teenage students. They do not want to be embarrassed publicly. Of course, public speaking is considered the number one fear to most people, and it would fall into this category. Examples of triggers for this fear would be failure or criticism. That feeling of shame and worthlessness, it, it, it gets triggered by... Worrying about being judged or criticized because we're not good enough. Sometimes even victims can experience this kind of fear, whether they're victims of rape or, or being bullied or, or being slandered by someone. As a victim, they're often left feeling ashamed and worship and worth feeling ashamed and worthless. But they're just the victim. But that's the kind of fears that we have. See, one or more of these five fears may be a very real struggle for you today. I think all of us have some form of fear in our life, something that really causes us great anxiety. Well, in Psalm 27, our text today, it's all about David dealing with his experiences with fear. Now, we don't know exactly when David wrote this song. We don't know what difficult situation he was in that caused this fear. But we know that his fear was very real. A lot of commentators believe that David wrote this during his exile when he was running from Saul. He was on the run from this madman who wanted to take his life. And trust me, David had very legitimate reasons to fear. They were real. But in the midst of those fears, David went to God for help. And the Lord gave him answers to help him cope with his fears. And this psalm is David's explanation of how he overcame the fear and anxiety in his life. And I believe there's much here for us to learn. Guys, our situation might not be and probably isn't as dire as David's. But our fear is every bit as real. I've found that trying to convince someone that their fear is imagined is not really helpful to them. Have you ever tried to convince a child that there's really no reason to be afraid of the dark, of the monster in his closet? Does it work? No, it doesn't work. 
See, fear is fear. It, it feels real to us. And if it feels real, it is real. And explaining to a person why they should not be afraid rarely makes it go away. So I need to learn how to deal with my fears. I need to find a way to overcome them. And I believe this beautiful Psalm of David will give us some valuable insights into dealing with our fears. Let's begin in verse 1. There David writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now the first thing David did in order to overcome the fears in his life was to recognize the power and the truth about the God that he served. He realized that he had to look outside himself for safety and security. Have you realized that yet? That you have to look outside yourself. You don't necessarily have the means within yourself to deal with a lot of the fears in your life. The great God that he had come to know offered David protection that he knew he could not provide for himself. Now first, notice that David observed that God was his light and his salvation. Guys, God does not just give light. He is light. He is pure. He is holy. He is uncorruptible. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, John declared, This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you. What? That God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Our God does not have a dark side. There are no unfortunate surprises with God. You remember when you got married? You had a few unfortunate surprises? Or at least your wife did? Okay? We all have some unfortunate surprises. Listen, guys, God doesn't have any unfortunate surprises. The more you get to know Him, the more you come to realize He is always good. He is always pure. He is always loving and kind. He is the source of life because He is light. God's very nature is goodness and kindness and love and truth. Yes, guys, those are His behaviors. But more importantly, those are His nature. He behaves this way because this is His way. It is who He is. Now David also saw that God was His salvation. Now, the word salvation here is not used in the way that we think of it in the New Testament. You know, we think of salvation as being saved from my sins by the blood of Christ. David is not using the word here in that sense. He's using it in the sense of God being our protector, our rescuer from trouble. He's our protector from evil men when they come against us. Next, he talks about God as our strength. See, when God chooses not to rescue us, he does so with the understanding that He will empower us to endure the things that are coming against us. It's important for us to understand that God does not always rescue us. Many times, He lets us face the fears in our lives. He doesn't take them away. But He comes and He provides the power to look those fears in the eye and to stand strong against them. David overcame his fears by realizing that his God was a good God. That his God was a protector. That his God was in his corner to provide strength and to help him face the things he fears. Do you know that God that way? 
Verse 2 says, When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. If we know that God is in our corner, we do gain confidence in every situation. Our anxiety is lessened just by knowing, hey, God is with me. This is when our faith becomes real. Do we really believe God is good? Do we really know that God is in our corner, that He'll protect us? You know how you'll know? When you get in the situation where you have to lean on Him. See, we we all have great faith when there's no need for faith. See, we all feel really strong when there's no opposition. You know, we get up in the morning, everything's going our way. Man, I'm just strong in the Lord today. Maybe, maybe not. You don't know because you haven't had to be strong in the Lord. You haven't faced any opposition. But what happens when the enemy is encamped around you, when the attack is imminent? That's when our belief system gets exposed. It's when the enemy comes to eat our flesh, literally and figuratively. Think about how we feel when the enemy is camped outside our gate. The fear that we experience at that moment is usually worse than when we're attacked. Charles Spurgeon, he wrote this. He said, The dread of the thing is often far worse than the thing itself. The shadow of of, of anticipated trouble is more prolific source of sorrow than the trouble itself. Isn't that really true? The things that we worry about, they're a lot worse just thinking about them than they are actually experiencing them. In other words, our greatest fears happen when the potential exists for trouble. Often our fears are greater when we're waiting on the attack than when the actual battle starts. Because once the attack happens and once the battle starts, man, we're so busy fighting, we don't have time to be afraid. But it's during the battle that our faith grows. Charles Spurgeon went on to to complete the thought by saying this, confidence is the child of experience. We need to embrace the battles we face knowing that they are the strengtheners of our faith. Our confidence in God's protection and in His provision, it grows through the experiences that often cause us great fear and great anxiety. Those are the things that help us to grow in our faith. But then David writes in verse 4, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in His temple. The second secret David found to overcoming his fears was learning what to seek and where to stay. Notice he says, One thing have I desired. You could narrow down the desires of David's heart to just one thing. His heart was to know God. His heart was to see God's glory. His heart was to just hang out in God's presence. Now it's interesting to look at the one thing desires of different people in the Bible. There are several. God came to David's son Solomon one day and he asked him, he said, Solomon, what's the one thing you want? God said, I'll give you whatever you want. You just ask for it. 
You remember what Solomon asked for? Wisdom. Yes, he asked for wisdom. Now, certainly not a bad choice, but it wasn't the best choice either. King Solomon got that great wisdom, but wisdom alone would not keep his heart from straying after other gods. Solomon allowed wisdom to become a substitute for a wholehearted personal devotion to God. Wisdom was not what he needed. Wisdom came up short. You remember Mary and Martha? Each one of them had one thing they loved to do for the Lord Jesus. Martha's heart, of course, was to serve Him. Mary's heart was to sit at His feet and worship. And you remember what Jesus said to the complaining Martha in Luke 10, 42? He said, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the good part. In other words, Mary chose the one good thing which will not be taken away from her. Now please understand, service to the Lord is a wonderful thing. And, and, and some of you are wonderful servants of God. But understand, it's not the good part. Not the good part that Jesus is talking about. In other words, it's not the best thing. Don't let your service to God become a substitute for sitting at His feet in worship. It can, you know. For some of you, your whole experience at church is serving. That's all you do. And that's great, and we love you. But you know what? If that's all, that's not good. You've not chosen the best thing. Remember the rich young ruler? In Mark 10, he came to Jesus with the right question. He asked, he said, Good teacher, what shall I do to, that I may inherit life? In other words, Jesus, what's the one thing I need? And Jesus' response to him was so important. First, Jesus asked him a probing question. He said, have you kept the commandments? And he pointed out major, the, the, the main commandments that had to do with living a moral life. And the young man said, hey, teacher, all of these things I have done for my youth. In other words, the one thing in his life was morality. He was a fine, upstanding clean living young man and if he were sitting here today we would all hug him and pat him on the back and we would want our daughters our daughters to go out with him but jesus corrected his misguided thinking and jesus said one thing you lack go your way sell whatever you have give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven come take up your cross and follow me See, this young man, he sought after morality as his one thing that he thought would please God. Doing right was his one thing. But morality alone had not kept him from making an idol out of the money and the possessions that he had. Now, obviously, morality is a good thing. But it's not the best thing. Jesus called this young man this rich young ruler, to a life of communion with Him. He called Him to a place of worship, to a place of devotion to Jesus alone. He called Him. He said, come and sit at my feet and follow Me. There are so many good things to seek after. And many of them look very spiritual and very holy. But they can easily become substitutes 
for the best thing. Godly morals, Christian service, biblical wisdom. These are all good things. They're all aspects of our faith that need to be practiced and learned by believers. But only a sit-at-your-feet devotion to God is the best thing. This is what pleases God. And this is what protects us from the dangers around us. And guys, David, he chose the best thing. His single-minded love for God. His heart of worship for God. His desire to know God. This was the one thing that gave him strength and confidence in the face of his enemies. This was the one thing that kept him from faltering in fear. Do you know and experience that one thing in your own life? Look at verse 5. For in the time of trouble, he will hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Where do you run in times of trouble? You know where David ran? He ran to church. Well, to the tabernacle, which in David's day was sort of the church. It was the gathering place of God's people. It was the place of worship. It was the place where David felt safe and secure. And i got to tell you, this is true for me as well. You know, I, nothing makes me feel more comfortable and secure than coming in here on Sunday morning with you guys. Just being in, in, in the presence of God with each one of you. Man, when I'm fearful or discouraged, it's this place right here with the body of Christ that, as David said, I feel set high upon a rock. It's when we gather together in worship that, as David said, my head gets lifted up. It's right here for me, I'll tell you. This is the place where I feel like I can come week after week and sit at the Lord's feet and worship Him right beside you. Now, look at the sacrifices that David brought to God. This man after God's own heart. Look at what he brought to church to sacrifice to the Lord. It says, he comes singing songs of joy and praise to the Lord. This is the sacrifice that God desires. This is what He wants most from you this morning. He wants you to come together and sing praises to His name with a joyful heart. He wants us to have a joyful time of worship. You know the verse, Hebrews 13, 15, one of my favorite. Therefore, let us continually offer the sacrifices of praise to God. That is, what is it? The fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. Can I really be bold with you for just a moment? And some of you are saying, you mean you haven't been bold to this moment? I don't know if I have or not. Some of you only come to church to hear God's Word taught. And let me say to you, and this is very important. Coming to hear God's Word is vital. No one is more committed to studying God's Word than I am. I, I, I love, I have a passion to come in here and study God's word with you. 
But if you don't also come to worship with a thankful, joyful heart, you have missed the best thing. You get that? You've missed the best thing. God's Word never teaches us to worship the Bible. It teaches us to worship the Lord. Yet for many of us, worship is just difficult. We're not comfortable with expressing our emotions to the Lord. We're uneasy with outward expressions of joy and thanksgiving. At least that's the excuse we give. It's interesting and a funny thing happens when we leave here and go home on Sunday afternoons and we turn on a football game. Suddenly, these same unemotional, dignified adults, straight-laced and cold, suddenly become crazy people. You scream and you yell at the TV. You cheer at the top of your lungs. You stand and you raise your hand with great joy when your team scores. How do I know that? Because I've watched you. And I've watched me. My wife gets so mad. I hear, I'm, I'm downstairs yelling at the TV and from upstairs, they're, what are you yelling at down there? I never hold the remote when I'm watching a football game. And you guys know why, don't you? You don't hold the remote. That can be a very expensive throw, okay? Let me illustrate from a movie clip that I think most of you have seen. This scene is from the movie Remember the Titans. Our clip takes place right when they're about to win the state championship. And let's see what happens. Titans have 75 yards to get to the end zone. Oh my gosh, I can't watch this. I can't watch what? this. No, what? Cheryl, what's wrong? No, I can't Cheryl. watch this. No, it's too bad. Not now. Cheryl. Not now. Throw it deep. Cover deep! worship didn't it yeah now please understand I'm not suggesting to you that our Sunday morning services need to look like a football stadium crazy out of that's not what I'm saying I'm simply pointing out to you that we are emotional people whether we want to admit it or not and we know how to express those emotions but suddenly when we walk through those doors we get stiff and we get reserved, and we will not allow any joy or excitement to come from our lives whatsoever. And that is incredible to me. That is so sad to me. Because if we don't come in on Sundays with sacrifice of praise in our heart, with joy in our heart, we've missed the most important part of the Christian walk. We've missed the one thing that God desires from us. You want victory over those fears in your life? 
Maybe the missing factor is the lack of praise and thanksgiving in your heart for the victories that God has already given you. We just tend to suppress them. Guys, one thing. It's one thing. Above all things that we need to come in with. But look at what David says in verse 7. He says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. God had given to David the key to victory over his foes and his fears. Three simple words. Seek my face. God said to David, Seek to know me. Seek to understand me. Seek to worship me. And David found that this is where such strength and light and victory came from. And it's amazing how simple it is. And yet so few of us really seek his face. Oh, we go out searching for something. We all seek something. But for so many of us, we're seeking the wrong thing. God invites us. He even encourages us. He says, seek my face. And then fear will be overcome. Draw close to to me. And then you'll find victory. This is where our faith grows. Where? In his presence. He doesn't say, come and serve me. He doesn't say, hey, come and memorize my Proverbs and learn wisdom. No. He doesn't even say, hey, come and live a perfect, clean life. And you'll be right. No. He says, seek my face. And then David says to the Lord, he says, in verse 9, he says, Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. You know, for the person who's experienced a great deal of rejection in their life, this is a very difficult concept for them. To trust a God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And why is that? Because their life experience has been that everyone they have tried to trust has forsaken them. And I believe this was a real struggle for David. So many people in David's life had turned their back on him. The implication from this verse is that even his father and his mother at some point had forsaken him. And some of you know exactly how David is feeling because you have been there. Maybe like David... You were perfectly innocent. But for whatever reason, you found yourself rejected and unwelcome, even at home. And yet David knew God would not reject him. Though he struggled with his fear, deep down inside he knew that God would take care of him. His time alone with God had assured him of that. And you, both of us, all of us here today, need to have that same assurance. And where does that come from? It comes from seeking His face. And let me say to you, just because your earthly father or your mother has turned their back on you and let you down, that does not mean that your heavenly Father will do that. You have Jesus' word on that, that He won't leave you nor forsake you. But you're going to have to do something that will not come easy. You're going to have to learn again how to trust someone. 
This is why you have to get to know God. This is why it has to be so personal. This is why you've got to seek His face because David learned to trust God by spending time with Him and this will be the case for you as well. See, there are no shortcuts to trusting relationships. Trust takes time. It takes experiences with someone. And knowing God is no exception to that. In verse 11, David cries and he says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in the smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such breathe out violence. Another cause of insecurity and fears in our lives is right here. David speaks of having been lied about. See, both his friends and his family, it appears, had turned on him. Stories had been told about him that were simply not true. David had been one of the most devoted followers King Saul had, and yet now King Saul is lying about him, lying about his intentions and his motives. Saul accused him of rebellion and treason. Even David's wife, Saul's daughter Michael, had betrayed him. She had mocked his devotion to God. She had turned her back on him and left him. It hurts when those close to us betray us. And yet, I can almost promise you, it's going to happen. And it's going to happen here. People are going to let you down. At some point, you're going to be hurt by a friend even a disloyal friend. But when it happens and fear begins to grip your life and you begin to think you can trust no one and those insecurities start taking over and that paranoia hits you as a stronghold in your life, you have to be careful and you cannot begin to assume that God is like everybody else. See, the answer is found in learning about God, learning His way learning that he can be trusted, but also learning from the Father how to love those who turn their back on you. See, God knows firsthand what it is to be betrayed by people he loves. He's got a whole world full of people who he loves that have turned their back on him at some point in their life. And yet God continues to love his humanity. He continues to love you and I. David was learning straight from God how God dealt with unloving people. And he did it through forgiveness. And notice that David is learning this forgiving attitude straight from the Father. And that forgiving attitude was taking David to what he calls a smooth path. See, being willing to forgive and to not seek vengeance was actually going to be an easier road for David. It was going to be a smoother path. We think sometimes that vengeance is is easier than forgiveness. Or we think if I could just get back at them, it would make me happier. But that's a deception. That's not true. The path of vengeance is a bumpy road. It's got a lot of rocks in it and a lot of potholes. And it's dangerous. Around every turn, enemies there seek to get you back. God's path. The smooth path that David found was the way of forgiveness. This is the path that David had learned from God. This was the walk that he had learned to tra- the path he had learned to travel. Are you still walking the painful road of bitterness and revenge? Are you still walking that bumpy path thinking that this is going to be good sooner or later? No, it's not. 
In verse 13, David said, I would have lost heart. He would have. If he would have kept down that road of vengeance, he would have lost heart. Unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. See, the path of vengeance is a hard road. The fruit of it will, you'll end up losing heart. It'll discourage you. It'll beat you down. Eventually, it will destroy you. But David found a better way. He looked away from the evil and the betrayal of this world, and he found the goodness of God. And no doubt, he had tried to find goodness in the world around him. And he, he, he just kept being unsuccessful. And finally, he looked and he found goodness with God. And notice where he found it. It says he found it in the land of the living. In other words, he found the goodness of God. Where? Right here in this life experience. But, but from God, not from necessarily from the people around him. And this is important because notice what David did with that goodness. He took that goodness that had flowed down from him, flowed down to him from heaven, and then he took and he extended that goodness to the people around him. He let it flow down through him to other people. The love and the kindness of God, it always flows downward. It flows downward from God to us and from us to others. There are people in this life that need the love and the kindness that God has extended to us, they need it on their side as well. See, you're dealing with people all the time out there in the world that are full of bitterness. They're full of, of hatred. And, and, and Lord, yes, they even look at you as an enemy. And how are they ever going to get past that unless someone in their life offers to them something they've never seen before, which is God's forgiveness? God's unmerited grace. Let it flow down from God into your life and from your life to their life. God's goodness swallows up our fears. God's goodness becomes a doorway to victory. Victory over self, victory over sin, victory over fear, victory over our enemies. God's goodness, let it flow down into your life. And then finally in verse 14, David writes, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. When we're fearful and hurting, the last thing that we want to do is wait. We want relief, man. We want out. We want a change. We want healing. We want this to stop. But David says, hey, wait. The work that God does in our lives almost always takes a lot of time. We've got to learn to wait and let God work. Now, this doesn't mean that we do nothing. It just means that we give God time to work in the particular situation, in the particular problem that we're facing. We don't step in and say, okay, God, you haven't worked. I can handle this. I'll solve it my way. No, we wait patiently for God to work in that area of our life. Again here, I love the words of Spurgeon when he talks about waiting. He says, wait at his door with prayer. Wait at his foot with humility. Wait at his table with service. Wait at his window with expectancy. See, there's so much I can do while I wait on God to work at this part of my life. I can pray. I can worship. I can humble myself. And that always needs to happen. I can serve God's people. I can do all of these things while I'm sitting back and saying, God, you need to deal with this situation 
that I can't handle. Notice David says to those who wait on God. Notice what he says. He shall strengthen your heart. He shall strengthen your heart. Now, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, he shall solve all of your problems. Or he shall end all of your suffering. Man, don't we wish that's what it said. Man, there's been a lot of times I said, Lord, come on now. Seriously? You want me to strengthen when you could just take this away? This hurts. And God says, well, you know, my goal for you is not to make you feel comfortable. My goal is to make you braver. My goal is to make you a person of courage, a bolder person, a person who can handle more things, a person who's got tougher skin, a person who's willing to love even when they're not loved. That's what I want for you. Listen, you want to gain victory in your life? David has spelled out a way for us, and it's simple. Three words. Seek his face. Walk closer to God. When our faith grows and our confidence begins to develop in God, it grows because we have spent time alone with Him. See, a fearless heart is a byproduct of a faith-filled heart. Pursue that one thing that matters most. Pursue knowing God in a deeper way. And that is my prayer for our church. That, that when we gather together as our church, that our church would become a place where people come and sit at His feet and praise Him and worship Him in a deeper way. Just coming in with, with hearts of thanksgiving and hearts of gladness and, and expressing them to the Lord. And then walking out with the goodness that we receive from the Father and taking that goodness to the people around us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor James Chapman. If you enjoy the message, you can access more Pastor James' teaching ministry by visiting calvarycsm.org.